0: This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangram. BTL is brought to you by Lorenz, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline. Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rocks, and Pro Guide Batteries.
1: BTL, coming at ya!
0: Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing, and I usually do an opening segment. Where I kinda of talk about what's going on and then I set it up and then I bring the guest in. But there's certain guys who just don't keep waiting. One of those guys would be VP the man, Brandon Polinick. I think he's in Idaho. You're in Idaho, Brandon?
2: I am. Yeah. It's well, not very often that I'm here, but I actually am here for the Yeah, time. one of
0: one of the few uh, home days in the middle of uh, elk season. Brandon, this is a recorded show, currently practicing for the 8th of ninth Bassmaster Opens on uh, Lake Hartwell. If it ain't chrome, leave it at home. Right, Brandon?
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right. You don't uh, need it.
0: But I uh, wanted to get this at, and, and set up. Have not had you on since you hoisted uh, your second Bassmaster Angler of the Year trophy uh, following a... Well, I don't know if it was stressful for you. Maybe you don't get stressed out. I know all of us were watching. It seemed rather stressful at one point during the the Mississippi yeah. River event there. So following the uh Mississippi River event, uh so thanks for jumping on BTL and taking the time. I know it is uh you're one of those guys now. You're hard to get a hold of, man. You're 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 one of those guys.
2: Yeah, I I try to be available. Um but this time of year gets tricky because I will disappear out of service into the mountains. Like you said, chasing elk around. Uh, And it just so happened to be that I was going to be gone this week, but I ended up getting one came out of the mountains early and we were able to get this done. So just timing worked out perfect. Um, But man, it's been a, a pretty cool year. I can say that.
0: Is that a mental health reset for you? The no cell phone in the woods, yeah. primitive stuff like. Is that something that you need physically, emotionally, mentally to be able to tackle the following season?
2: It is for me. I think you know. There's like, I just to me, it kind of brings it back to like that primitive state, like you just said. Like it's it's kind of hardwired into me where I feel like that is. Not that I need like a reset from fishing because I still love fishing, but it's just different. Um, you know, and I think because throughout the fishing year, you're, there's constantly always something to be done, right. It's not a nine to five, like it's pretty much a 24 seven job. Like there's always content to be built. There's always sponsor obligations and like tournament prep and making sure your tackle's organized and ordered. And, uh, and so for me, when I get in the mountains, there's really no expectations uh, and I can just walk and just like be immersed in that. And I think it, it, it oddly helps me in my fishing, be able to then like fish in the moment, like you always hear all the time, uh, because I'm able to just kind of settle down and take it in for what it is. And I think that helps my fishing. And so I I always say that the water has my heart, but the mountains have my soul. And, and it's just this like other love that I have. Um, and it is just different. Right. And I think not having a cell phone, like not feeling like you have to post stuff or those obligations to me is, uh, it's, it's fulfilling really.
0: Do you bring Kyle along and film any of that stuff too? Or is it like low tech, no technology? (laughs)
2: well uh the funny part is is that he's been talking about that he's gonna film an elk hunt people have been asking for it and i i'm always kind of like whatever like if you want to film one let's film one but i i'm not gonna put the pressure on it and if we do it it's just gonna be documenting whatever happens like i'm not gonna stop and like make this production out of it because that's 30 yards to our right here we go yeah
0: yeah, oh. stop.
2: He turned his head. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I I just want to show like how it plays out. Well, the funny thing is, is that he disappeared to Mexico for like a month, and he's like, "I'm going to film an elk hunt this year." I said, "No, you're not. Like, it's not going to happen." He happens to show up. We go for a couple of days, and we end up getting one on film. No way. Yeah. So the first time that he ever films one. I actually end up shooting one with my bow. Um, So by the time the show comes out, people will probably see it. But like, as of right now, when we're recording this, I haven't posted anything about it. So like, I won't show it.
0: I saw a picture of it. That's happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I sent you a picture of it. So it's, it was super cool. I mean, is that a large elk? I'm not an elk expert here. It It looks, it depends on like your, uh, depends on your standards, I guess. Right. Like, some people think a five-pound largemouth is a freaking giant. Some people are like, yeah, whatever. Five
0: okay, five St. Million. Lawrence River, everyone knows that. Let's say the gold standard there, anything over six is is a giant smallmouth out of the St. Lawrence River, unless you're yeah, like you I or would what... say
2: that's, that's like a, like a five, five-and-a-half-pounder probably. Oh, that's a good and, elk and, then. And, and with a bow, it's even better. I mean, it's not like a crazy giant, right? It's not a seven- or eight-pounder, but uh, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty solid one.
0: Do you get uh, the same feeling like when you've got a six-pound smallmouth on eight-pound or six-pound test by the side of the boat going nuts that you do just before you draw back on an elk like that? Like, is that same type of adrenaline going through your body?
2: Yeah, probably even more because you're you're talking about a like a six-pound bass versus a eight hundred to thousand-pound animal, and during archery season they're rutting and so uh like that bull like he's coming to fight he thinks i'm another bull and he's coming to fight so he's not just like coming in to chill out and hang out with his buddies he wants to fight and so it's an intense moment and then like you're essentially trying to take the life of another animal and so like that's pretty heavy too in that moment but then there's the side of it of Well, this is what we live on on the road. So like when we leave Idaho, we pack our freezer and our camper full of elk meat usually. So if I don't get it done, we don't we have to go to the grocery store to buy our meat. And I prefer not to have to do that.
0: Carl up there with you this time?
2: Yeah. He's been here since lacrosse. He drove straight to Idaho after lacrosse.
0: Did he post that he missed one or something? Like he had like a legit shot at one and it just didn't pan out?
2: Yeah, he did. And then he ended up getting one in Montana also.
0: I feel like a elk hunt with you two would be like the most positive hunting experience ever. Like both of you would just be like, "Hi, Mike. there's one over the next ridge or I learned. I'd be like, I feel like there's zero negativity in the woods. Like the vibe just has to be incredibly positive between you two on a hunt.
2: There's a lot of laughs. I mean, it's pretty dang fun. Uh, It's a lot of work. You know, it's not like you're walking 10 miles on flat ground. You're walking 10 miles up and down, you know, two, three thousand vertical feet a lot of times.
0: How long does it take you to unplug? I mean, if you finish the season, that's got to be stressful. The sponsor stuff has to be stressful. Like how many hours once you're in the woods are you not Thinking about the cell phone, thinking about stuff that's going on at home, thinking about sponsors, thinking about 2023.
2: A couple days, really. Yeah.
0: Because I experienced that when I went up to Alaska. So we like flew in, right? And then we flew in and flew into another one. We ended up on the neck River at the base of the Aleutian Island chains. Well, this thing is obsolete there. Like you take pictures with it. We were there for like seven days. Like the first day and a half, I, I had like anxiety and I didn't realize how attached I was to that thing yeah like it kind of scared me like how often I went yeah. to look at it and realized there's nothing to look at on here yeah. or where's my phone but then I also realized by day four I was like crap I haven't seen my phone in two days I might want to like locate that so when I get back to it and there was like this moment when it was unplugged and I'm on the river and I'm you know with my two buddies there and I was like dude I don't think the average person understands the importance of being a hundred percent invested with something where nothing like nothing could interrupt me there. Like there was nothing that would interrupt. There were like three humans within a hundred miles, like 17 people in King salmon, three of which worked at the bar and the other one worked at the grocery store. Yeah. But like there would be no calls. No one was ever going to come up. I didn't have to, I couldn't check email. I couldn't do anything. I was fully invested on that river and it was amazing how time changed and how my mentality changed over that time. And then it was really hard to get plugged back in afterwards.
2: For sure. It changes your perspective. Really. I mean, when, and I think it's because as humans were wired that way, like we're not wired to have this phone in front of us all the time and feel like there's always this constant pull and need of our attention. Um, but then the flip side of it is like, we're social creatures, right? And so these social platforms pull our attention because we, our brains are wired to have that, but we're also not wired to do it through technology all the time. And like you said, the, the way that time changes is that everything seems like it just moves slower. Like you're, you you do not feel that anxiety or like pressed for time. You just, you're taking things as they come. And I think that's going back to like the hunting side and disconnecting for me. I think that's why it's so important because I pull that back into my fishing later, right? I'm able to draw from those experiences and say, okay, like now is time to just focus. Right. So when I'm on the water, even if I do have service, it's like disconnect yourself from all those distractions. And just focus in on this moment.
0: And you're able to do that without going, I wonder what I'm missing. I wonder if someone important called me. I wonder, like, do you turn your phone off? Do you put it on do not disturb sometimes?
2: No, I leave it on just in case, like, well, yeah,
0: you're like a dad now. I forgot about
2: that. (laughs) Yeah. In case something happens, I need to be connected (laughs) for that. Uh, But you're able to
0: disassociate yourself from that.
2: Yeah. I think you have to. Right. If you want to compete at the top level and get to the top at the top level, you have to be able to flip that switch of on the water, off the water. And, you know, whatever's going on outside of that, you have to be able to turn that off and just focus on what's happening, because there's a big difference between making all the right casts and making the right cast with intent. And, and I think that's where you see the difference in the leaderboard is everybody can skip a jig under a dock on the elite series. Mm -hmm. But the difference is the guys that just skip a jig under a dock and they're already thinking about the next cast or whatever, but versus the guy that skips the jig under the dock and he's paying attention to every skip and how it lands and how it falls and like all those little details and you're fully invested in that cast until it's done and then you reel it up and you think about the next one. Yeah, and I and I it seems like such a small detail, but I think it's one of the biggest details when it comes to looking at the leaderboard.
0: Wow. It's it's interesting. I remember when you first started filming before you filmed you came on the show. I remember the show very vividly because you said your goal was to win every tournament of every single year. But the way you said it didn't come across as cocky. It came across as like well, yeah, that should be everybody's goal. But I also remember Mark was adamant that filming every single show and doing it every single day was going to wreck your career. Yeah, that there was no way that you're going to be able to. And I've looked back, gone and looked back for, for the show. It's on some drive somewhere because you know we've changed platforms because technology has advanced since then. But uh, I I remember you went on and you won your first angler of the year in the first year that you filmed, didn't you?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Twenty seventeen. <laughs>
0: so how this is the crazy thing then how have you been able to do what you just said while still putting out like the best product and interacting with the camera while maintaining the on the water focus like that would seem like counterintuitive to each other wouldn't it like hey i know i've got this production because you talk to the camera you sing you're talking to kyle but you're still maintaining that elite level of focus i would think that that would collide with each other and not mesh as well as it has for you
2: so it was definitely a gamble uh, at at first and I didn't know what was going to happen with it I just knew that I was enjoying filming but I had this vision of what I wanted it to look like and how I wanted to kind of showcase the sport and I couldn't do that with just a camera mounted on my boat and wearing one on my chest, right? Like it, and I didn't have the time to cut and edit it and and not to the level of quality that I wanted. So I wanted to hire somebody to be able to shoot and be able to get the on the boat stuff. And what I've learned through that is that because I'm like interacting with the camera and talking to it, that I'm actually processing what's happening on the water in my head. And and so like, I'm almost talking through it. And it's like, when they say, if you write something down on a piece of paper, like it sticks in your brain better. I find myself when I'm on the water, I'm I'm like, I'm talking and explaining what's happening. But by doing that, I'm actually kind of like just blurting out what's, happening in my head like the thought you're vocalizing something that then allows yeah.
0: you to you're vocalizing something that then allows you to internalize it make sense of it and make decisions based upon that yeah. instead of just one giant stream of consciousness that then you look back on on hindsight at the end of the day yeah Fair?
2: so then like oh should i do this or that of it you, you just go do it you're like well yeah, yeah i'm talking about it like why don't i just go do it
0: Dude, that's so interesting. So, you know, I did the AFCO Bass Bootcamp like three or four years ago where I just was yep. like, hey, this is part of my job. I have to have these videos for AFCO. I have to talk my way. I have to do transitions. And then I did it the next year on the Opens. Well, this year, because I feel like the market is saturated with yeah. chesties and hat cams and, hey, here's how it's done. Like, there's guys doing awesome stuff like Coop Gallant and all that and everything. Yeah, that but just as a whole… Uh, I went more towards uh, in-depth analysis afterwards on shows with Brad Hallman with very minimal video clips. Well, this is the first year of the last four years that I haven't sat down, during, done exactly what you said, talked myself through it uh, and slowed down. And it seems like a lot of my days are more of a blur, more of a, holy cow, I'm down a rabbit hole that I shouldn't be down. And mm-hmm. I wonder if it has made more sense the last couple of years, because I haven't taken that time out and forced myself to look at that GoPro and talk through what just happened, how I analyzed it, a transition and kind of analyze what needs to happen the rest of the day, which I was doing for the show, but mine have subconsciously put things in order for my chaotic brain that isn't happening this year. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And I that wasn't something that I expected to get out of it. You know, it was kind of more for, an entertainment value side of it but it's became very educational and even for myself like to look back and say man why did i miss that fish on that hook set like i felt like everything was right and then you go back and you look at the footage you're like ah, your hips were turned the wrong direction or you know like there you pick up on these little things that you can then adjust and change later and i think talking through it is just one of those things that's came about it where I realized that it's, it's important, you know, because you're, there's a difference between thinking it in your head and then actually speaking it out where it starts to make more sense. Like you almost get this, you know, 30,000 foot perspective of it where you're looking and figuring out like where you're going wrong or what you're doing right that day.
0: Uh, I gotta go there. What do you mean your hips were? Out? Are we talking like straight <laughs> up gate? Like, let's go through that.
2: Um, so, like, if I'm fishing down the bank, you always want your hips square to wherever you're casting, essentially.
0: Wait, wait, wait. I I need to make sure I internalize this. Okay, so you're going okay. down the bank. You're going down the bank, you want your hit so if, let's say you're going down the bank and your bank is on the left and you're making forty five degree angle cast to the to the bank. Yep.
2: So you want to make sure you're running your trolling motor with your right foot. Okay, so on your your left. Hips. you need yeah, you need your like your hips and your body needs to be opened up to this that side that you're fishing. If you're casting to the left and you're running the trolling motor with your left foot, your bot you're already losing half of your hook set with your body because you're not able to turn your hips, right? So you're, if your body's opened up, now you have your, you've got your arms plus your back and you're able to turn your torso much further if your body is opened up to that side.
0: So is that something that is second nature to you or do you make sure when you make casts in certain scenarios that you are physically positioned for maximum hook set potential
2: it's something that happens subconsciously now right it's i've made it habit so that i i just like automatically reposition my body but i i still find myself throughout the day thinking like okay like make sure you're squared up here right like i get to a place where where i really feel like i'm gonna get a bite and i make sure that I'm squared up and everything's right. Uh, we've just learned that that, that makes a difference and it's no different than when you're casting, right? Like when you first started throwing a big caster, like you had to think about all of the processes to make that happen. So you didn't backlash and you made the right cast, but now we just do it without even thinking about it. And so that's where you want to get with as many things as possible.
0: All right. Hear me out on this. I feel like there's been a lot of lost fish over the last couple of years. Uh, notable lost fish, especially with the uh, a lot more live, too. I know it's happened in my game, too. I've been complaining about it all year. Do you feel, I feel, uh, as this this might be pushing it too far, but I feel like with the Aven of forward-facing sonar and the ability to turn 360, there's a lot more guys hooking a lot more fish way out of position and therefore yeah. not getting it in because that fish could be over your back shoulder, you're turning and casting. That fish could be at an angle, you're immediately mm-hmm. casting to it. It could be under, behind the boat. There's a lot more out-of-position hook sets than the old Tommy Biffle, uh, Denny Brower, give them the beans 10 feet yeah. squared up, punch them square in the jaw deal. You think that makes yeah.
2: sense? Uh, I think it makes 100% sense, and yeah. we're doing it from a lot further. Right. So you've got a lot more stretch in your line. Uh, you know, there's just there's a lot more variables put into that versus, you know, a broomstick and a 10 to 15 foot cast. And, you know, you set the hook on them. But those guys were always squared up right? because they were always facing mm-hmm. their target.
0: Hackney talks about his percentage is through the roof. Yeah. I feel like Hackney does a lot of fishing that is conducive to squaring up to your target.
2: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. He's he's one of my favorite guys to watch fish. Christie's the same way. Like, you know, when he's when Jason is rolling a spinnerbait around targets, it's like watching a conductor of a symphony to me. Like I love watching it. I, I don't know why it's just I but I think he's done it so much and it's so fluid and smooth that I'm just in awe every time I watch. I'm like, holy cow, it's amazing.
0: To me, it's like a mouse trap. He's always ready. As soon as that mouse hits the pad and that trap goes, bam! To me, that's how it is. Like, you watch him, and as soon as that spinnerbait or plugger, I mean, boom! I mean, it's instantaneous. And it's, you're right, there is a hip rotate. There's a big hip rotation, which makes his, because his hands stay down, right? Like, kind of in front of him. He doesn't do, like, a big sweep. He does yeah. more of a rotation with the hips in order to do that and clear it. You have to be centered when you initially get your bite.
2: Yeah, because he's always in position, right? His rod is here, and so there's there's less chance of variable because it he's in position and then he just rotates versus if your hands are out here, then you have to try to bring them back to your body to set the hook. You, you end up losing um, that space right there.
0: Dude, my year's been so sloppy and I just learned that over the past 24 minutes. I've been fishing sloppy and I've been fishing lazy. Yeah. Position it makes wise. a
2: difference. That's that's why I say like making every cast with intent. You can make the right cast, right? You can set your jig in nice next to the laydown, but if you're not doing it with purpose and intent, then you it shows in your results, right? That's the difference I think between 60s and 70s and versus like top 20s.
0: That's good stuff. Uh, I want to go over one more thing. We'll take a break and come back with Brandon Polinick. But you mentioned uh, with the uh, video and showcasing the sport. I um, actually did just a, a, a thing with uh, Mercer on his channel where we argued over who's going to end up with more angler of the year. It was a vintage media guy argument, right? Like something that you guys don't care about, you or we yeah. Who's going to end up with more AOIs and who knows what's going to happen? And I actually. I actually said Wheeler by one because I feel like Wheeler is more results-driven and cutthroat, whereas you are more experience-driven experience, experience yeah. driven and overall, and then the Angler of the Year's come with it. Anyway, you don't even have to touch that I don't.
2: Subject. I don't disagree with you. Okay. I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, for me, it's not a competition of, like me versus him, who wins yeah, you know that that's a discussion AOIs. for the
0: media guys to have. And,
2: and the thing that's funny is like that wasn't ever a discussion before until he won back to back, and I have all of a sudden have two of them. Yeah, but like last year, that was never a discussion of like who's going to win more AOIs, yeah. Paul and Nick or Wheeler. Well, uh, it is now? And it, yeah, but now it is, and I mean, we probably both just laugh about it, but but we'll see.
0: Uh. But I, I say that to say you talk about showcasing the sport through your videos, through your experiences, through it. And one of the ways that I thought you've done a really good job of showcasing the sport was through your uh, interaction with uh, Steve Ranella Meat Eater, and the guys that are over there. Uh, you and uh, uh, Carl did a great job on that initial uh, podcast that they were on. And that yeah. thing's like millions of people. Like, that's the yeah. GOAT. Like, if you look at the iTunes top outdoor, like, they have six of the top six. And there's like one about like Sasquatch, but, (laughs) but, um, what surprised me was, you know, those are outdoor guys that have lived outdoors TV in it, but they, they don't really, didn't really have a full on grasp of how professional bass tournament fishing worked. Did you notice that? Like on some of them, it, it was amazing. I just assumed they knew Bassmaster Elite Series and MLF and here's the format and stuff but it was interesting to me how guys who have grown up fishing and in the wilderness and in the outdoors and I don't want to say ignorant but just how it wasn't on their radar and I just Mm -hmm. assumed that everybody at that level just kind of knew that and they're like oh yeah cool we got Paul on, he's hanging here but they were asking some some very interesting questions like that it's interesting you know you're showcasing the sport in those but uh I I kind of wanted to get your take on your interactions with them and did that kind of surprise you too as 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 good of outdoors as how little they followed uh the professional bass fishing scene?
2: Um I mean it didn't surprise me a ton. I try to take the perspective of like not assuming that everyone just knows who we are and what we do. Right? I would rather assume the other way that nobody knows who we are and that be like we're just regular guys right and and that that keeps you from like sounding arrogant to people like because there's still a lot of people that don't know anything about bass fishing right we can say there's whatever 40 million plus licenses mm-hmm. sold but we don't have 40 million people tuning in to bass live every weekend like mm-hmm. yeah it'd be great if we did but that's that's the goal right and were not there and so you have to approach all of those conversations of like explaining that and really the one of their guys that works for him that takes pretty much all of their like amazing photography seth yeah. morris he he follows it and right? he okay. watches the videos and stuff and so he knows the sport the most out of anybody really um but the rest of the crew didn't know and to me, that makes for a better show.
0: It was a fantastic because, show.
2: Yeah, because you're they're asking questions that probably majority of the people listening have, and then you're able to explain it in you know kind of that form that people understand it. And I'm like, ah, oh, actually sounds pretty dang cool.
0: Okay, so I I legitimately like stay up at night thinking about this. Renella has been able to take a hunting show. There's a billion hunting shows out there. He has been able to take a hunting show and turn it into a cultural phenomenon where he has tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of people watching his show who have never picked up Mm -hmm. a gun, never picked up a bow, and for some reason they relate to it. They're invested in it. They're waiting. Dude, I've never killed anything. I killed a squirrel out of a bird feeder when I was 12 with a BB gun. My dad said, don't pump it more than three times. I pumped it 10 times and I dropped it. That's the extent (laughs) of my hunting. But for some reason, every time, oh yeah, the new season of Meat Eater's coming out more. He and then look at the podcast and the success and the millions that he has on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not all those are are hunters. There's a lot of people who don't hunt who he has found some sort of, of, of way to relate to the non-hunters. The same thing that I think a lot of people are searching for in the fishing industry. How do you expand this? The horrible grow the sport statement yeah. that we talk about but have you noticed that what do you think it is and why and do you think it's possible to do a the same thing that that Renella and the meat eater crew has been able to capture over there with the non-hunters and the outdoorsmen that somehow makes them relatable and transfer that over to the bass fishing world which i don't feel like has been done yet to the nearly the level of success and let's be honest fishing is way less controversial than hunting
2: yeah, I think the biggest thing is the biggest difference that those guys do is the the kill shot is not the pinnacle of the show, right? Like the 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 kill is important to sustain that lifestyle, and I think that the fact that they positioned it that way is what makes it as popular as it is, right, is, like, they're selling that lifestyle uh, and that way of life more than, like, the actual chase of the animal, I guess. Um, And so when you position it that way, it changes a lot of people's perspectives. Uh, Like, Rogan's done a great job of it, too, because he used to not hunt, and then he realized, like, the benefits of it mentally and physically, right? Like mentally having that connection to your food source uh, is just kind of like, we've been doing that for centuries. right? Like There weren't grocery stores at one point and that's hard for people to understand. Um, but then like, have, so having that connection, but then also the physical attributes of like, when you do have to go hike around in the mountains and that side of it. And then also the food that you're consuming, right? It's not pumped full of steroids and antibiotics and all this. And when you pair that up with like some of the cultural stuff now where everyone like has all these buzzwords, right. Of like organic and grass fed and all these different things. Well, there's nothing more organic and grass fed than like an elk in the mountains, right. Or, or some wild game that you uh, end up harvesting. And, I think by positioning it that way, it's more relatable to people because everybody doesn't matter who they are. Some part of their brain is wired for that, right? For survival. Like if mm-hmm. if you just took all the grocery stores away and took all the technology away, took all the power away, like people are going to have to revert back to those primitive skills. It's the only way you can survive. And and that's in everybody. It's just whether or not they push it down and they want to push it away or they accept that and embrace it.
0: Yeah. You got a bunch of people going, I don't know why I'm watching this, but I really like watching it.
2: Yeah. And so like, and depending if you go like all the way back to like native tribes and stuff, like depending on where they were positioned, some of them hunt and like, you know, wild game and like big game was their main food source. But then you go to the coast and most of their food sources were salmon and fish and things like that. And so in the fishing side of it, like there's also this, you know, resource that we have that we do it for sport in the fishing side. But then, you know, from a health perspective, there's also, you know, obviously bass are not the best tasting animal fish out there. Like there's way better tasting fish um it, but there there's that side of it also right and um I, I would way rather catch something and eat it like we eat salmon and steelhead and stuff and it's way better when i catch it process it yeah like at my house and freeze it and pull it out later like i'm way more excited about that meal than if I just go to the grocery store and buy it and cook it up.
0: That's some deep stuff.
2: Yeah, it's true.
0: All right. Uh, we'll talk some fish when we get back. Uh, I would talk about yeah. this stuff for hours, or we talk about more about this. But let's talk about some fish when we get back, a little entertainment, yeah. educating, and engaging with Brandon Pollock, 2022 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, two times angler of the year it's btl we'll be back right after this
1: your key to better fishing this season is elite fs now available at a new lower price get elite fs9 today for 9.99 and we'll throw in a cmap reveal chart our premium mapping solution for free elite fs works with all state-of-the-art loran sonar from chirp side scan and down scan imaging with fish reveal to high resolution active target live sonar Elite FS9 and CMap reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. We're just about ready to go ladies and gentlemen I'm about to get in order. Once again, True Cook is in the driver's seat. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear app though. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait, 15 different colors, a perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability, 3D eyes, premium black nickel hooks, KVD, tie one on,
4: striking lures. Elite Series Pro Darrell Gleason here. My ProGuide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about ProGuide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com.
2: What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here.
0: Welcome back BTL with Brandon Politic And I strategically ran the X zone ad prior to coming back live because I have your 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 season pulled up for the Bassmaster Elite Series and I talked about you know the guys in the media always talk about it. Well, step 1 is get through Florida. And you did that famously. 20th at the St. Johns River, 26th at Harris Chain. I mean, like I said, listen, I know you want to win every single one, but if you come out of Florida with basically two top 25s, you did your job in Florida, unless you're like yeah. Terry Scroggins or some Florida guru or Drew Cook yeah. or someone who, but that terrifies a lot of top level pros back to backs in Florida. And all of a sudden your season's a quarter over and, you know, you've seen some hydrilla, some lily pads and needlefish, and you're like, what the heck just happened to me?
2: Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm- when we left Florida, I wasn't leading the points, but I felt like I was light years ahead of aOi because yeah. i've I've always just dug this hole that I had to climb out of, and we get to the end of the season and I end up finishing in the top five in aOI and I'm like, well, if I could have just maybe not had an eightieth in Florida and <laughs> cut a check, I would have been right there in the running. And, and like it's always been that close and so um like just kind of a funny story on perspective uh, i was texting with my stepdad after the saint lawrence river and i finished 25th and we can get into that later but like that's my worst finish ever there and so i was so mad i was so pissed off about it and uh he texted me like good job and i was like yeah whatever not that good he's like well yeah but i couldn't text you that you know <laughs> like he's like yeah it did suck but whatever and and then i got to thinking about it and i'm like how jacked up is that that i'm so pissed about a 25th place but then at harris chain i was like ecstatic about a 26th you know, and and that's just your perspective that and the expectations you put on yourself like go to florida i'm like man, 26th place like that's a win for me and then you go somewhere that you have really high expectations you finish 25th and you're like i feel like you finished in the 80s it's just it's it's so odd that it it can be that vastly different right like the yeah. the number on the leaderboard isn't always the scale of how you did it
0: yeah uh So then you go 3rd, 12th, 2nd, and 7th on Santee, Chickamauga, Fork, and Pickwick. I mean, you've had some success, didn't you? You've won on one of those fisheries before. uh, Some heavyweight fisheries hit hit some of them prime, but that was like a meat and potato stretch where you kind of started to separate yourself. It was at that point that I'm sure when you started talking about how you're not looking at the Angler of the Year point standings and you're just going out and trying to catch as as many as you can. But I mean, 3rd, 12th, 2nd, and 7th with three... Uh, three northern events left. At that point, um, you're rolling, I, I, yeah. Making good decisions and headed to your strong suit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew that I was in good position. I didn't know, obviously, what the point gaps were or anything like that. But I knew at that point I was leading going into what historically is, you know, better waters for me. Uh, with Mississippi River kind of being a hit-or-miss place and uh, knew that Awahi was in my wheelhouse, but I also didn't know that much about it. Like, it's kind of, I guess, technically a northern fishery, but it fishes oddly different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that middle stretch was crazy. Like, I just wasn't... And it was weird. Like, I just, I felt like I wasn't ever thinking about it. I was just doing it. Um, and everything was just coming together and everyone wants to talk about the last, you know, my fifth fish on the second day of Mississippi river being like the AOI winning fish, but that that's really not the case, right? Like if you don't catch all the other fish throughout the year, that one doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And in that middle stretch, like there were a lot of fish catches really almost in every single tournament, I can look back and say like that one fish was worth 16 points and, and that happened a lot throughout that, right. Where a lot of those tournaments were really tight tournaments where one big bite separated you with 16 places. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Big fisheries, too, like big fish fisheries. Pickwick, yeah. Fork, Chickamauga, Santee Cooper, rich with history. You know, we're not talking 14-inchers here. No, and there's potential fine. for some crazy stuff there with a lot of history on it. Really cool stretch there. So, 3rd, 12th, 2nd, and 7th, the meat and potatoes. Um, You touched on it before, but what did happen on the St. Lawrence River? 25th place finish. Because even then, it was like, you know, we were like, oh, we thought it would be over after the Saint Lawrence River, yeah. but it really wasn't. We're like, oh, it just it delayed it for the inevitable. It's good for Bassmaster though, because they'll still have an Angler of the Year race until after you know going up to Hawaii. Yeah. So it's good they didn't like totally blow it out.
2: Yeah, it. Uh, I-, I got caught up fishing history, fishing too far ahead of where the fish actually were. Not fishing that week. Uh, like I knew that there were big ones up shallow. And I kept trying to force this deep bite. Um, And I think, you know, we want to talk about, everyone wants to talk about, like, forward-facing sonar. But this is a negative of it. Just because you can see them doesn't mean you can catch them. And there were a ton of fish that were moving offshore that week that you could see and not catch them. Right? Like, I would roll out to places that I knew nobody had fished. Uh, you know, and so it wasn't even a pressure thing. Like I would run out in the middle of the lake to one boulder and you'd scan over there and you'd see 15 or 20 of them sitting on this boulder and it'd be in 30 foot of water and your drop shot would hit the surface and they would literally swim off the boulder from 30 foot to the surface, follow your bait all the way back down. And then you'd watch like half the school swim away and half the school would swim towards your boat. And then they'd just be gone. You'd never get a bite. And, and like mind blowing. And it, and I, I kept doing that. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna run to this rock, and they're gonna bite on this one. I'm gonna run to you know this gravel bar, and they're gonna bite on this one. And then they just wouldn't. And you're like, holy cow, you know. And it, it was so easy. Like all of the clues were in front of me. I just wasn't paying attention to them and like actually executing on them. I was trying to force something else to work. And I think by seeing the fish on your forward-facing sonar, you're like, oh, well, they're here. I just yeah. get to the next place. But those fish weren't biting. They were just transitioning. They were just getting out there. And you would think, you know, like the book says, that those fresh fish that first get out there are going to be the easiest to catch. But that was not the case.
0: I kept thinking back, and I know it wasn't your first win, the 2013 uh, win out of uh, Waddington. But I keep thinking back to I, – I see a lot of similarities between that when when you were in your kind of early 20s out there making that crazy run out to the lake and what uh, Shakurit did. Uh, mm-hmm. 23, 24, just kind of calm, cool demeanor, had a spot that you knew had the potential to be really special, manage it, and it worked out. You had a little bit more weather uh, conditions. But what were your thoughts on 102 pounds of smallmouth – a guy in his early 20s kind of understated he seems to have that kind of cool calm confidence uh, in his wheelhouse reminded me a lot of 20 uh, of 2013 uh, when you won your second elite series event out there uh, out of Waddington
2: man I don't, I don't know if he because it's his rookie year and I can say this from experience I don't know that he knows how special what he did was um and and i say that because when i won there in 2013 i didn't realize how special that was right like making that run from waddington all the way out to where i was and being able to do that four days in a row that's not something that's always capable and i mean guys have done it after me but in the time, I wasn't even thinking about it. like it wasn't an option. It was like that that is my chance to win. And so that's what I'm gonna do. And after like going that right, that was the first time I'd ever been there. So I didn't understand like the magnitude of that. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing with Jay is like he will appreciate that win more and more the older he gets. Um uh, because he'll realize like a hundred and two pounds of smallmouth is ridiculous. <laughs> like a hundred I've been fishing for this is my twelfth season on the elites and I just got my first century belt this year. And I was two pounds away from it at Santee and then got it at Lake Fork. Like those aren't easy to come by. And then you do it with smallmouth is mind blowing. And I would have, I would have bet everything that it wouldn't happen that time of year. Like I knew that that was the place that a hundred pounds of smallmouth would be broken, but I thought it would be like this next year when we go late August, when those fish are set up, they're fed up, but we, like we just hit perfect conditions. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where, as you get older and you have more time on the water, you understand how rare those weeks are i don't think it's been calm like glass calm 4 days in a row on lake ontario since the glaciers carved it out
0: and, and then windy during practice to where he had a little window where he found those fish and then they were unfishable yeah. for 2 days before it
2: yeah yeah i mean like for for those for that scenario to happen, everything has to line up. And when you when you're young, you don't realize how rare those are. Yeah, um, and because yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't, I didn't when I was younger. Like, and you learn to appreciate those more. All
0: right, we'll finish up the year and then we'll let you get back to carving the elk. Where is it currently? Is it like in the front yard, hanging up? No, is it in a
2: no? It's it's too warm to just leave it out this time of year, so it's packed on ice in a bunch of yetis still in the back of the truck
0: (laughs) and then you got to take it out and process it put it in the food savers and all that that's like what you're doing the rest of the day today
2: yeah it'll it'll be an all-day project like we probably won't finish it until i don't know like nine o'clock tonight when we get started we do it all here at the house by ourselves
0: you'll have what five six hundred pounds of meat when it's all said and done
2: no you won't get that much out of it you'll have a few hundred pounds of Burger steaks. You eat any of the weird bro- stuff?
0: Like the brains uh, or the nuts or the no. livers or any of that stuff?
2: Nah, no, not that weird. Elk I mean, fries
0: so, aren't a aren't a yeah. delicacy up there? Yeah,
2: I mean, they probably are good. I've just, I don't know, I've never done it. I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't know why, because we eat, like, cow testicles sometimes, you know, Rocky Man, Mountain. Cal calf fries oysters. are amazing
0: from Toby Keith's Bar and Grill. little yeah, jalapeno ranch on them, a little salt.
2: I just don't know if I would trust my. I don't know how to process that. I guess. I think and you I just like thin,
0: a, thin slice it and then treat it like a crappie fillet, right?
2: Yeah, I guess, but like I don't know. You have to sterilize <laughs> it first or something. I don't. I guarantee
0: that, you, there's a YouTube video on it.
2: I know, but that's not something you YouTube on your own phone. That's like something I grab <laughs> hey, Kyle, Kyle's phone
0: and YouTube. Kyle, <laughs> <laughs> let me see your phone for a second. All right, well, yeah. we digress though. Um, oh yeah. We thought it was all said and done, but, I mean, Lester was still in the conversation. Chris Johnson was in the conversation. Technically, uh, David Mullins was in the conversation. And then the 66th place happens at Oahe, and then you're flirting with the cut and all sorts of crazy stuff at the St. Lawrence River. Did you feel some pressure? Uh, Did you know what was going on? Had you looked at the standings and... uh, what was it in you that was that allowed you to to kind of bring it back instead of get caught up in the moment and say holy cow I'm I let a commanding lead slip away
2: well i i think by not knowing what that lead was helped um, cuz i was able to look at the positive of it yes i was not happy about awahi um i didn't but i didn't know what the lead was or that point gap go into it So I didn't know, like, how big of a lead I had blown until now. Like, looking back at it, I was able to ask Tiff and Kyle, like, you know, what was my lead going into it? And they were able to tell me, you know, like, like, oh, that's why you guys were so stressed out about it. (laughs) Uh, But for me, like, I was able to look at the positive and say, well, wow, I just blew. Like, you know, I obviously I can look at the leaderboard and say I gave up a bunch of points, but I still have the lead. Uh, and so that was like positive and frustrating at the same point, knowing that, okay, now going into the last event of the year, things are tight. Like I could feel that energy from everyone else without knowing the points that things had obviously tightened up. And so I was going to have to do whatever I could at the Mississippi river. Um, you know, it it was just, it's frustrating when you have a finish like that on a fishery that fits in like your quote unquote wheelhouse, That just shows how easy it is to, to not have solid tournaments or how hard it is to have a solid tournament because you can just, you know, you make a couple wrong decisions. And that's the difference maker.
0: Feel a lot different than the first one, or the same?
2: Uh, I mean, there's a lot of
0: stuff that happened different. between the first and the second one, dude.
2: Yeah, yeah a lot. Kids,
0: of, tour different. changes, years, yeah. maturity, a lot of stuff between the first and the second
2: one. I think every win, whether it's an elite win, an AOY win, like to me, I've learned they're all special in like their own way because they all have their own set of variables. Like there's a storyline to every one of them that's unique to that year or to that, you know, tournament win that week. And so for me, like this one was special because looking into the future, I hope that my daughter is able to go back and like look through it and see like all of the video footage. And everything, because it, it starts out in the beginning of the year where this, like, you know, several months pregnant and traveling and on the road and everything, and then she's not there for Fork and Pickwick, and then we're racing home, trying to get home to, to see the birth. And, like, I just feel like there's a lot of, I guess, like, positive life things in that, where she'll be able to go back and watch that and learn from that and i obviously i didn't have that in the first win Uh, and i think the the difference with this one from like a fishing perspective wise is that i didn't take the lead in the first one until way late in the year versus this one i took the lead like halfway through the season and then had to maintain that. And so from a mental approach, there's a there's a different type of pressure, right? When you're behind and you know you're always trying to run somebody down, it's a different thought process than when you are on top. And, but the, the difference from a fishing perspective is that you can't lay up when you're on top because you're going to get passed. Mm-hmm. So you have to approach it like you're behind and, that, and you're just continually Catching as much as you can
0: That's good stuff Yeah I didn't even mention about that About how it was like late and you were at Pickwick And you were going to leave
2: Man yeah, that was
0: a, That's was it been a year dude
2: Like think about if I was going to leave if Like Tiff went into labor in Midweek or whatever right Like could have been day two I get the phone call like I'm hopping on a plane and leaving. like That's easily 16 points, right? So the fact that she was a week late and I made all four days at Pickwick, that stuff doesn't just happen by chance.
0: I can't find this article. You did an article a couple years ago about how in order to do this, you have to be selfish. Was it the just of yeah. it, right? Wasn't that like? T- what Do yeah. you remember what the title was of that?
2: I don't remember. But was, it a, a, was it a blog? One. It was a I blog. Read? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you still feel that way yeah. after you've had a kid now, or do you think did that change your perspective on things?
2: No, you. You. I mean, your perspective changes, but you there's still a level of selfishness because I'm sacrificing time away from my, my kid to be able to do it right like at Awahi, i was getting on the water so early and getting back so late that i didn't see her for two days except for when she was sleeping jeez uh you know like she was asleep when i left she was asleep when i got back uh and that's how it was two days of practice and that but that's that's a sacrifice and that's why i talked about like there has to be that level of selfishness, but you have to have a team that supports that and understands that with you, right? Whether it's your sponsors, your, and but more importantly, like your media family and friends, um, because it, it's time We're like, that's the, our most valuable resource and you're making the decision to spend that time on the water versus with them or doing something else. Yeah, it's heavy. Yeah. But when well, when you, you understand that, you you then on the water put more into it, I think.
0: Because you know what you're sacrificing, so why waste yeah. that time? Why would you if you're going to exactly. do that, you might as well be as productive as possible and do it a hundred percent. Cause you know yep. what you're... Yep, exactly. It's good stuff, Brandon. Uh, yeah. speaking of time, I appreciate it. A full hour. Like I said, you literally were like, Hey, I wasn't planning on being able to do this. I think I can squeeze this in, in between chopping up an elk and putting it in coolers and then processing it. Yeah. Uh, be on the lookout. Uh, I mean, like I said, when this comes out, uh, first week of October here, uh, we'll be five, six days from now. But, uh, I'm sure all the details will be out there, and you'll have the pictures out and stuff. I will not show her. Yeah, to anyone. Yeah, else elk,
2: at this time. Elk details will be out there. Elk sure details will be out. At that point, uh, uh, and good luck at Hartwell.
0: Dude, I'm good so luck. looking forward to it. So looking yeah. forward to it. Last time I was there for that was for that Bass Nation Championship, and I've just gotten done with the Chesapeake Bay and the Red River. Um,
2: and like You're ready s- to catch some bass.
0: Oh, last night I sat there and just rigged up like eight spinning rods. Um And yeah. pulled out like I had I had a box from that national championship in twenty uh, seventeen I believe twenty seventeen mm-hmm. twenty eighteen one of those years and I hadn't it, it was like lost in like a Rubbermaid tub. I got stuff everywhere because I've moved like three or four times since then. I got a house yeah. now, and I pulled it out and I I like had a weird flashback. I remembered. I remembered ordering and building that box specifically for uh fish over cane on Hartwell and it brought back so yeah. so many memories of of that tournament. So dude, oh, yeah, I am jacked. I might not catch him but uh like you talk about like the lesson stuff I need to be, be get better at looking at each event like an opportunity instead of freaking red river. Instead yeah. of Chesapeake Bay, why are we go in there in September like they dude every opportunity, like yeah. you said, for the points, twenty fifth is a twenty fifth, every opportunity is equal. It's it's up in your yep. head. It's the mentality of where you're and if you're gonna sacrifice that time and energy, might as well do it to the best of your abilities.
2: 100%. Yeah. You like Hartwell? Uh it's like I'm born on it. Like it's a really fun place to fish. I always get like I never really have really good finishes there. I don't know why. It's uh, kind
0: of white bassy, which is there's a luck factor. I yeah, feel yeah. like you can put yourself in the right area, but like if the white bass, which are big largemouth packs and spots, come up, like yeah, you could do everything right, and they just don't come up around you in the right, and then you could have you know some dude over there yeah. who doesn't know what's going on, is catching twenty five pounds on five casts with a fluke that he's backlashing.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're no nomadic, you know, and so it's it just makes it a lot harder to control those variables.
0: It does. All right. Go start cutting off some elk, Brandon. All
2: right. Sounds good. Thanks dude. We'll talk to you Appreciate later. it. All right. Later. See ya. That was
0: 2022 Bassmaster Angler of the Year, Brandon Polinick. Always very insightful uh, to hear what he has to say. Like I said, he said it to himself. Hard to believe he's been out here for 13 years already. I was talking with uh, Chris Brown at ICAST. Uh, he remembers, uh, when Brandon won the, it was at the time, the, the federation, uh, believe the 2011 federation nation national championship. And I said, yes, I "I remember it was on the cover of, uh, of bass times in like a pair of jeans and a t-shirt set in the hook. Uh, and I think that, I think that was on the red river. I think that was actually on the red river where that went down. But then, uh, through the series, uh, that he's done, uh, He's done a lot for the sport and a lot for, you know, himself individually, but also a lot for uh, a lot of other people in the sport, too. So we'll take our final break of the show when we come back, talk about what's going on for the rest of the week. It is BTL. We'll be back right after this.
3: Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com.
4: The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat. So, you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you want to give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John
1: and the MD. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thefasttank.com. Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well-suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu SuperLine Offset Round Bend is built using stronger SuperLine wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The Round band offers a larger bite area perfect for any worm presentation while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced z band holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, and 5-0, this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer preparation is key to success and that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water you're only as strong as your connection to the fish and your line is that critical connection confidence in your line every minute every day on the water is a necessity and failure it's not an option Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon, and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence.
3: The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multi-directional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy touch, soft feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com.
0: All right, wrapping things up here. On BTL. And there's certain, uh, I did interview thousands of people over the years of doing this. And it's interesting. I go back and forth between, I think there's two, let me see how I want to say this. I think there's two uh, different paths or avenues of people who are very successful at the top level of professional fishing. Um, I think there's a group that they really don't think about much. And that's like a blessing. It's easy. They just go out and they do it. A long run, whatever, don I mean, whatever, where I'm going, don't care, they don't get bogged down or worried about what ninety eight percent of the people worry about uh they just know they're gonna go out and catch a fish and they go do it, and I think that that is one of the paths to success. There's not a mental block or they're not distracted by things that it, that distract ninety eight percent of the anglers and then on the other end of the spectrum uh you have extremely cerebral anglers who understand it at an incredibly deep level. Uh, and they understand all the nuances and they understand like how, how to navigate the hurdles that 98% of anglers get caught in. Um, I think both are incredibly effective. I think there's negatives and, and positives uh, to both approaches. But I think there's kind of like that, just that middle ground. A lot of the anglers, I'm in that group. Obviously, if there's 98%, a lot of the listeners are in that group, too. But whether it's off-the-water distractions, uh, expectations, not being fully committed, 100% uh, all-in, financials, all sorts of different things that can all get in the way. And and I think it was interesting listening to Brandon talk today uh, about how he's able to process that, put it on the back burner. And when he's on the water, he's on the water, and that's his... 100% focus because he understands the importance of the things off the water uh, family quality of life and all that and if he's going to choose to make that decision make it 100% so good stuff really enjoyed that show uh, talking with him as I did did the show a couple weeks ago with uh, the BPT Angler of the Year Jacob Wheeler uh, two uh, both incredibly uh, talented anglers so uh, that's all we got for BTL Uh, we'll be back with more frank scalish on thursday the man the myth the legend putting the uh entertain and education in the three e's of btl entertain educate and engage big shout out brandon Polinick, as he carves up an elk right now that i'll eat as he tries to uh, go back to back on the 2023 elite series with back-to-back angler of the years but this has been another edition of btl bass talk live we'll talk to you guys later